We're going to get started and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. And um, from what I understand, there wasn't a sign-up sheet in the back for the men's breakfast, but Josh Reed is going to take care of getting one back there. And so, brothers, if you could just um, sign up for that before you leave the service today, um, that would be great. Exodus chapter 1, we're beginning the book of Exodus. So excited to do this together with you, church. We just finished the book of Genesis, and now we're going to enter into seeing Christ in all of Scripture in the book of Exodus. So let's look at Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to, eat, uh, we're going to read Exodus chapter 1 and uh, chapter 2 this morning. So please open your Bibles or your phones and follow along with me in the Scriptures as we read. And let's read carefully God's Word together. Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt, and then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. Then Pharaoh's commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. 
now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Isn't that a great ending to that chapter? God knew. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word, your authoritative word. Lord, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and touch all of our hearts in the hearing of your word and the preaching of your word this morning and and transform us. Help us to see Christ in the midst of even the travail of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Help us as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper at the end of the service today to remember your broken body and shed blood, to remember your faithfulness, your covenant faithfulness to your people down through the ages. And let it comfort us today in the midst of everything we're facing. We thank you, Jesus, for laying down your life on the cross. And we pray that our love for you and our devotion to you would grow stronger and our faith in you and our trust in you would grow deeper. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus 1 and 2, it's a fascinating couple of chapters because um, Exodus chapter 1 actually covers the span of, of many centuries. 
And upon reading it, you don't kind of pick this up when you're kind of reading the words, but when you get from Exodus 1 to the end of Exodus 1, you've really covered the span of many centuries. And, um, and, actually, and actually, Exodus 2, it starts to slow down a little bit, but not too much because Exodus 2 actually covers a span of about 80 years. So you've got centuries being covered in Exodus chapter 1 and then about 80 years covered in Exodus 2. And here's what's interesting. In Exodus 3 through 40, you're covering about a period of a little over one year. And so it's just wonderful the way God's word is written and the way the Lord will just, you know, just like it says in the word of God, like to the Lord, a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day in Second Peter. Just the way the Lord will cover the span of time very quickly and, and move his purposes forward very, very slowly at times. But then all of a sudden he moves dramatically and, and moves rapidly. And so there's this flow to Exodus chapter 1 and the 2. And, and the narrative goes from covering many, many generations to moving in and, and, and zeroing in on the life of Moses and then covering about the period of a little over a year from 3 through 40. So this is going to be cool. And I can't wait to go on this ride, this journey together with you. Excited about looking at our points from these two uh, chapters today. In Exodus chapter 1, I've entitled the first point from chapter 1, Forgotten by Man. So point 1 is forgotten by man. Point 2 is remembered by God. So forgotten by man, chapter 1, remembered by God, chapter 2. And so let's look firstly at forgotten by man. Where we left off at the end of the book of Genesis is you have Joseph dying, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him in the land of Egypt, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so Joseph, who was this great deliverer of the people Israel and also of the Egyptian people, I mean, he did a mighty act of service to the whole world. Um, and and he, he dies in Egypt, and at first, Egypt is so welcoming to the people of Israel. And you see, in a sense, the favor that the people of God have at first amongst the people of the world or the people of Egypt. And so it starts out where the, uh, Pharaoh is very grateful for Joseph and also Joseph's father, Jacob. And he says, bring the whole family down. And they bring 70 people down. And that's listed there in the first few verses of Exodus chapter 1. And but what is so just awesome about God's Word is it just talks about the reality of the way things play out in human history so clearly. And I love the Bible for this. It just doesn't hold back anything, but it's so real in capturing what actually takes place. You see that the, the 70 people of the people of Israel grow into a great people. They grow exceedingly strong, obeying the command of God to be fruitful and multiply and it says that the land was filled, the land of Egypt was filled with Israelites after a number of centuries. Um, we've been talking about at the, in the book of Genesis, that the book of Genesis was really about God's faithfulness to his promise, that he was going to bring the promised one, the offspring of the woman, the offspring of Eve would one day come and crush the head of the serpent or the, the head of Satan. And this, this promised one 
is also paralleled by another promise in Genesis, which comes through in Genesis chapter 15. And we learn a lot about God in Genesis 15 when he talks with Abraham and makes the covenant with Abram. And that verse is seen in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13. And and the word of God says, and I think we had that for projection, if I'm not mistaken. The Lord said, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And so you see this promise to Abraham made hundreds of years prior to them ever even getting down to the land of Egypt. God's telling them that not only is the promised one going to come, but he makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15 and he promises them this. You are going to be taken into Egypt. You're going to be taken into a foreign land. You're going to be a sojourner there. You're going to, you're going to be servants there in a land that's not the promised land and you're going to be afflicted. Part of the promise is you're going to be eventually delivered to the promised land but and it, look at the specificity of the promise in Genesis 15. For 400 years, it's like God's looking out for His people and telling Him His plan. You're going to get to the promised land, but first it's going to be after 400 years of servitude and slavery. And so God was very kind to give the, the promise of the promised one in Genesis 3 and the promised land in Genesis 15. And And here in Exodus chapter 1, we see the people of God, and this fulfillment start to take place of this promise in Genesis chapter 15 that they were going to go to this land of Egypt and eventually they were going to be servants there and much afflicted. Now that first group, Jacob and them, when they first got there, probably would have thought, man, it's been great in Egypt. Pharaoh's just kind of opening the land up to us and we're able to just just kind of gather our flocks and grow our flocks and grow. But as the sands of time begin to pass by, we see the Word of God tell us what happens. That promise of God to Abraham starts to become fulfilled. You see it here in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. So there's this change of policy, this change of attitude and disposition from the king of Egypt, this new king, after times past. And all that Joseph, the Hebrew, did for the good of Egypt, it's just forgotten. And it's a picture of the world and man just forgetting all the good, even that the people of God do for them. And all the blessing that comes with the people of God dwelling within the midst of them. And the the true clash starts to arise between the world and the people of God. Between Egypt and the children of God. The children of God, Israel, and the children of Egypt, or the children of the world. And we see that they are utterly forgotten by man. And so the story is just discouraging from the standpoint of you can't control. All of a sudden, there's this new king 
And this king just determines to deal shrewdly and harshly with this new generation of Israelites. And they forget about all the good that the previous generation of Israelites did for them. And they they start to dread the Israelites. So they forget all the good that the Israelites, and specifically Joseph, had done for them. But then it starts to progress. The world moves from forgetting all the good to actually dreading the people of God and fearing the people of God, Israel, while they're in Egypt. And then they start to persecute them. Then they start to oppress them. They bring them into slavery. And they start to deal very harshly. And they make the people of God's lives bitter with hard service, the Word of God says in verse 14. And they give them over to all kind of work. And they make them work ruthlessly. And so this servitude is very, very oppressive. And if you just look at this picture here, it's such a painful description of just the reality of the pathway of the people of God. It's not all sunshine and rainbows to be a believer. There's times when the world is going to look upon us and smile and commend us. There's other times when the world's going to look upon us and they are going to actively forget us. They are going to actively fear us. And they're going to start to set policy against us to where it increasingly makes life more and more difficult and bitter for us, the people of God. This parallels, and you start to see this play out throughout all of Scripture, the way that the people of Israel are treated by the people of the world, the way the church is dealt with by the people of the world. We see that they are utterly forgotten by men. And the forgetting turns into dread and fear, and the fear and dread turns into harshness and oppression and slavery, and even that doesn't stop. It gets even worse to where you look at the end of the chapter here with the Hebrew midwives being commanded by Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to actually kill the baby boys of their own countrywomen. And the midwives, even though they're in slavery, they still fear God. These women are examples of faith to us in the midst of having been forgotten by man, and oppressed by man. In the midst of persecution, these noble women, I I love the way Scripture in Exodus chapter 1 here actually names two of them. It's, It's just awesome. The way specific names of two Hebrew women who are midwives, and it's not Moses, it's two midwives mentioned, and they're they're commended for the fear of God, and it makes a real difference. We must obey God. God rather than men. You can almost hear the echo of the apostles in the New Testament corresponding with the faith of these midwives in the Old Testament. And they don't obey Pharaoh even though he commands them. And it could have meant their lives. But they trust God and they deliver these baby boys. And they tell Pharaoh not necessarily a lie, but the truth perhaps of the situation that the the Hebrew women give birth very quickly. And so God preserves them. And I think it's a lesson here for us to trust God 
in the midst of oppression and continue to fear God, no matter what cost you might anticipate in the midst of obeying the Lord, we obey God even though it might mean our lives. And we hold fast to the Word of God and the promise of God. These women feared God even after, by this time, it seems like much time had already passed where the entire nation of Israel were in slavery. It would be very easy for the people of God to have just grown bitter toward God. What's amazing is there's tremendous faith in this chapter through the centuries. And what's so cool about this, and it's important for us just to understand this, is that God sometimes will move very quickly and dramatically to bring about great transformation in his church and amongst his people. He will bring revival on his people when he chooses. But God is also, as the centuries are rolling by, there are entire centuries where entire generations, brothers and sisters, of God's people were under slavery from cradle to the grave. And yet they just faithfully clung to the Lord and to the promise of the promised one and the promised land. Actually, I love that movie, Prince of Egypt, where they sing that song in the beginning, Deliver Us. And they're just being lashed and they just keep crying out to God. And I mean, I, it, it chokes me up every single time when that song comes on. And uh, man, I, I shouldn't have mentioned it because it's happening now. But just the cry of faith, deliver us, God. In the midst of this oppression, these Hebrew midwives trusting in God and fearing God, even over Pharaoh, come what may. And there's a great example here for us of the call to trust in the Lord and obey him, even in the midst of affliction from the world and persecution from the world. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be true sojourners here, pilgrims called to make progress in the midst of this world. Let us not settle here, this world and this fallen world, and the world is not our home. We are called to to journey through, and we are passing through, and we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so this picture of the Israelites dwelling in the midst of the Egyptians in the world, it's a perfect picture for us of how to live in the midst of increasing darkness. Because as the darkness increases, we cling and hold fast to Christ, even as we're forgotten by man. And we must remember to do that. And it's it's a very important lesson for us, and a a theme that that starts to transpire through the book of Exodus. We're, We're called to come out from them and be separate. And not be worldly but to be otherworldly, that people should look into our lives and see a difference in us as Christians. We should be marked by the fear of God and the obedience of God to His commands. And we should be marked by a willingness to obey God no matter what the cost. Because His Word is timeless and true and authoritative and we should never compromise the Word of God. And we should always cling to the promises of God. You, you kind of think, well, where's Christ in the midst of these centuries here where they're being oppressed? And, you know, I couldn't help but think about our series in the Gospel of Matthew. And do you remember when we went through Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogies? Well, it's so amazing here that, remember Jacob, he gives him and his wife give birth to Judah. And then Judah, if you look in Matthew 
chapter 1, the line of Jesus and the line all the way leading to Christ is delineated in detail. And it says, Judah was the father of Perez. So this little child Perez is growing up in the midst of the people of Egypt. And most likely by the time his son, Hezron, is born, Hezron probably grew up under increasing oppression. And then his son, Ram, under even worse. Maybe even Ram was a slave from cradle to the grave. And Ram was the father of Aminadab. And it seems like four generations grew up. The line of Christ is moving forward in the midst of all of this oppression, in the midst of all of this slavery, and when it looks so dark that you would look and say, God, what in the world are you possibly doing with this circumstance? Don't ever forget, Christ Community Church, in the darkest days, no matter if they last 400 years, God is always moving. His glorious purpose is forward. And sometimes it happens like that. We would have all loved to have been amongst the Israelites that watched the Red Sea come crashing down on the entire Egyptian army, crushing them all. That's what our heart as the people of God longs to see the great acts of revival and great acts of God working in a moment. However, Christ Community Church, we must take this in deep. We must drink this truth in deep. We don't know exactly the ways of the Lord and the times in which we live. We are going to cry out for revival. We're going to pray for revival. And and God in His goodness may in fact grant us revival. And let's have faith for that. However, if the Lord ordains for us to man our post and to woman our post during a season or a long stretch of bitterness and hard labor and oppression underneath of the world, Let us continue to trust the promise of God and walk in Him because these two Hebrew midwives didn't see the water come down on top of the Egyptian soldiers and yet they will be greatly rewarded in heaven for their fear of God just as much as the generation of Israelites did who crossed over the Red Sea physically themselves. It was the children of these women that did that And brothers and sisters, we must remember that God has His purposes and His ways. He may choose to move rapidly. And it's so interesting. Like We look as we're heading a little bit deeper here into Exodus. The pace of God, you hear the old expression, hurry up and wait. This is kind of like in reverse. It's sort of like wait. And then hurry up. Because by the time they are about to leave Egypt, on the night that it happened, it happened so fast that they don't even have time to bake bread appropriately. They have to bake unleavened bread. And so the Israelites bake unleavened bread throughout their history to remember the speed with which God moved when God determined to do so. 
we may be under a long trial. And we may be wondering, God, when are you ever going to deliver me out from underneath of this trial? It's been so long, God. It's been such a long, dark night of the soul. My dear brother, my dear sister, have hope in your heart. God is working his plan. And it doesn't always make sense to you exactly how he does it. And his timing can be perplexing to us who dwell in the land of slavery and may never see the day where the promise is fulfilled necessarily in our lifetime. And maybe not even in our children's lifetime. But don't you ever forget, as we sung this morning, Jesus will come back someday. And we may not see it with our eyes, Him coming down out of the clouds of heaven during our time, literally in our lifetime here on this earth. It may be yet many centuries, but mark you, He's coming. And when He comes, oh, get the unleavened bread ready. He's coming down like lightning to rescue His people. And you know what? We may all be in the grave, the dead in Christ, but you know what? We get priority. The dead in Christ rise first. And so, God may move fast. God may move slow. God may be moving very quickly in your life right now. He might be moving very slowly right now. Dear, tested brother and sister, hold on. Hang on. Keep clinging to Christ, even as Jacob clung to Christ in prayer. And remember that little baby Perez is moving forward in his line. And the Christ did come, has come, has suffered on the cross, did have his body broken and his blood shed, crushing the head of the serpent. That promise was fulfilled and he will indeed come again to bring us home and take us to the promised land. God's people will get there because man might forget them, but God never forgets his people or his promises. God remembers you. So point one was forgotten by man. Point two is remembered by God. And you just got to love this. The way this just progresses. Pharaoh, do your worst. Give the command. Every son that is born to Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile. End of chapter one. But you shall let every daughter live. Do your worst, Pharaoh. You think you're in command, Pharaoh. But as we sung, I'm so thankful for this song we sung this morning. He is the sustainer of infants and kings. Because here you have this king rising up and all of his power to oppress the people of God. And here's little baby Moses, whose parents aren't even named. And he's under such oppression from birth that his mother needs to send him afloat in in the hopes that his life would be preserved by God. Because if she holds on to him, the command of Pharaoh is, is that he would die. This corresponds with Hebrews chapter 11 on the section with Moses, which will be projected for you. Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at verse 23. 
by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Stop there. Keep the scripture projected. This is awesome. Moses' parents aren't even named. These two Levites. But they are remembered in the New Testament for their faith. Again, that is just awesome. And you see the faith and the faithfulness of God sustaining His people in the midst of much oppression. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, this is a great verse, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses in chapter 2 was adopted. Moses was adopted. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. But Moses, verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's our call, brothers and sisters. We have a choice. Like Moses, by faith, are we going to identify ourselves with the people of God and bear up underneath of what is so amazingly called here? Look at verse 26 of Hebrews. It's still up, I think. Moses considered the reproach of Christ. This is awesome. The reproach of Christ greater wealth. Moses considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It's so interesting. Where's Christ in the Old Testament? The reproach he's experiencing here, the apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit calls the Reproach that Moses bears for identifying himself with the Israelites rather than the Egyptians, he doesn't call it the reproach of the people of God. He calls it the reproach of Christ. And here we see Old Covenant and New. The people of God, Old Covenant and New, are one in Christ Jesus. And so when Moses makes the choice by faith to say, I'm going to be identified with the people of God, and choose mistreatment with the people of God over the pleasures of sin in Egypt because I regard Christ as of greater wealth to me. And I'm looking ahead to that reward, the eternal reward, and not to the temporary pleasures of this world or the pleasures of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, we all have that choice. May every single one of us in this room, even right now, choose afresh Choose you this day which God you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have the type of determination like Moses, who by his faith said, you know what? I'm giving up the world. Give me Jesus. Take the world. Give me Jesus. Jesus is of greater wealth to me than gold and all the pleasures that Egypt affords. And I'm going to choose the reproach of Christ. It takes great faith to choose the reproach of Christ, brothers and sisters. It's a lot easier to go with the ways of the world and the lies of the world and the pleasures of the world. 
the people of God are called to come out from the world and live separate from the world and obey Christ and endure the reproach of Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, will you do the same? Will I? The Lord's challenging us this morning to, like Moses, live in such a way. Remember John chapter 15, verse 18, when Jesus says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Brothers and sisters, let us not try to cultivate friendship with the world, with the Scriptures call enmity toward God or hatred toward God. Let us not try to to garner the good word and the good favor of the world. We will look in vain for their applause. Let us rather choose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. Let us, like Moses, who had the opportunity to do so, rather instead identify ourselves with the people of God because we're looking ahead to the reward of heaven, looking to the eternal and not to the temporal pleasures of this world. We are sojourners here. And we see it here in the life of Moses. And we see it just as he's growing up. It's amazing. This story of being remembered by God, it's such a wonderful working of God's tapestry that Pharaoh is commanding to kill the people of God and God is bringing a little baby to his daughter and God moves her heart with pity there's God's providence and she draws up Moses out of the water this language by the way of being drawn up the same language used throughout the Psalms of God drawing us up out of the pit we're saved. It's, it's, it's language of grace all the way throughout this chapter too. And it's the language of salvation. He drew me up. And in John chapter 6, 44, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. The Father draws us to Christ. We are drawn up from the pit. Moses is drawn up from the pit, from the water, and he is saved in this little mini Noah's Ark, if you will, he's pulled up out and he's delivered from the danger he was in and brought right into Pharaoh's household, right under Pharaoh's nose. And this is where the Prince of Egypt may be a little off here. The idea that Moses grew up in a nuclear family with 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 Pharaoh and mommy Pharaoh and then, you know, two princes side by side who are best friends and like, their whole lives, it, it's probably more likely that Moses and Pharaoh hadn't met. It may even be more likely that that Moses was kept secret, perhaps, even by Pharaoh's daughter from Pharaoh for all that time because he was raised up actually by his own mom, which what a kindness to God and his providence to allow his own mom to nurse him and strengthen him. Moses identified himself with the people of God, but later was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. So he had all these rights and privileges, and and it's all happening right under Pharaoh's nose. And Pharaoh doesn't even know it, 
but God's deliverer, God's chosen man, God's chosen weapon to bring him down while he's raging at his worst to kill the people of God, God is just threading this tapestry, precisely putting a needle into this detail. I'm going to, to show my power, I'm going to bring a little baby, a little weak little baby, right in under your nose. And he's going to be the one that breaks you through my power. God's weaving a tapestry. And all the details of your life as well, brothers and sisters. God, when He weaves, He has a very fine needle. Don't ever forget that every single detail is totally perfect in the plan of God. He's carrying out His perfect ways and His perfect will right now in your life, even though sometimes you can't see it. Don't ever forget that God is working His plan. Right here with this little baby, He is working His great deliverance. He's working his great remembrance of the people of God and the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I love those verses at the end of chapter 2. Look at those verses. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And there we see God sovereign over infants and kings. Pharaoh dies. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. So here we learn three things. God remembers this, and this is how it's manifested. God hears your cries, people of God. He heard their groaning. Even things that they didn't express in words, but just were feeling so deeply and so painfully. God heard their groaning. And look what it says in verse 24. God remembered His covenant. God remembered His covenant promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw. So God heard. God saw. And God knew. And I don't know what you're going through right now, dear child of God. My dear brother and sister, God hears. God sees. And God knows every detail of your life, every hurt and every pain, every tear, Scripture says, is actually captured by Him in a bottle. He knows it all. And He loves you so deeply. And the proof of it is in the fact that He kept His covenant promise. Not just to the people of Israel, but also to us. By sending the promised one, Jesus Christ. God remembered His promise and brought Jesus to us to save us. And we're going to remember Him now. And the covenant-keeping God He is through the Lord's Supper. So I'd like to ask us all to remember together as ushers, you come forward and immediately begin to distribute the elements for communion. Let us quiet our hearts and close our eyes uh, and just remember that God remembers us. Even though man has forgotten us, God never will. Let us never forget 
that God hears us. God sees us. And God knows us. Let's pray to Him together as the ushers distribute communion to us. Let's remain in quiet prayer together as we remember individually. Oh Lord, we thank You for how You remember us. And You remember Your promise. What we celebrate here when You say, do this in remembrance of Me, we remember You just as Israel did of old. You are the covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeper. You're not just a promise-maker, you're a promise-keeper. And we celebrate that today, that You would have sent Your own Son to suffer His body be broken and His blood be shed for sinners like us who upon believing in You are saved forever by Your broken body and shed blood. Touch our hearts as we reflect on your remembrance of us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just pray quietly as we reflect together. You might be thinking to yourself, I'm not worthy to partake of the bread that symbolizes the broken body and the blood that symbolizes the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. And you know what? You would be right. None of us are. Moses himself was saved by grace. When he grew up and was around 40, he murdered an Egyptian and fled. He was an unlikely deliverer from birth and was a sinner, just like you and I. But God protected him in infancy as He protected you. And He protected him growing up He protected him as a man. And he fled. And God preserved him still. Just as he's preserved you. By his grace. He has saved you. 
And He has sustained you by His grace, my dear brothers and sisters. And right now, with all that you're facing, as you lift up your prayers to Him, even right now, He hears you. He sees you. And God knows. He knows. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body. The bread symbolizes the broken body of our Lord Jesus on the cross which He willingly suffered to be broken to save us from our sins. Let us partake of the bread. Thank you, Jesus. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, oh, and look at the language. Listen to the language. Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant. Oh, the covenant keeping God has kept his covenant promise. The blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom in the promised land, brothers and sisters. Let us remember His shed blood, which has atoned for all of our transgressions and sins, my brother and sister. Let's remember it this time. Thank you, Jesus. If I could have the worship band return. This is a covenant-making God, a covenant-keeping God. This is a God who sends His own Son in great love to die for you. This is a God who redeems you. Redeems you out of slavery, even as He redeemed the people of Egypt, or the people of Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. Brothers and sisters, it's a wonderful thing for the people of God to be delivered out of slavery in Egypt, but it's a better and more glorious thing for the people of God to be delivered out of slavery to sin and to the devil. And God has done that. And so we can worship Him for the ransom price He paid and for the redemption that He has won because He has delivered us out from the bondage to sin and death by triumphing over the grave itself. He is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise Let us stand, Christ Community Church, and sing. Sing to our awesome Lord God, our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, who loved us and sent His Son to die for us. Let's worship. I love those closing words in Exodus chapter 2. It says, God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God knew. God knew and God remembered. Forgotten 
by man, remembered always by God. My brothers and sisters, I sensed strongly during worship, in closing, had a strong impression from the Holy Spirit of God's personal love for you. He remembers. That language remembers. is the same language used with God remembered Noah. God remembered the people of Israel. It means He's faithful to His promise and He will never forget you. He knows where you're at. He hears you. He sees you. He's watching over you. And God knows your troubles. And He is fulfilling His purposes and His plans for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you, says the Lord in His Word. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Almighty God, thank you for your personal love. God, I pray for any any person who isn't a Christian here, that they would turn to you and receive your personal love. You are so willing to receive any sinner. Anyone can come to you and trust in Christ and be forgiven of their sins. Lord, if there's anybody who hasn't done that, would you please open up their heart to repent and believe? Grant them salvation today. For today is the day of salvation for them. But God, for us, your people, I pray, comfort your people right now, even as we head out the door. Lord, comfort your people with your personal love that you remember. You remember them. And you know. You know. Cast all of your anxieties and your burdens on me, for I care for you, says the Lord. Cast those burdens now on Him. And walk out feeling lighter, knowing God's got this. He's got you. He hears. He sees. He knows. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isn't He awesome, church? I love Him. Know you? I'm going to remain up here. Uh, if there's anybody who would like prayer, personal prayer, I'd love to pray for you and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you and touch your heart afresh. Um, otherwise, church, have a wonderful day. And remember that God remembers you and is going to keep His promises to you. Have a great day and a wonderful week. God bless you.